Welcome to Saving You is Killing Me, Loving Someone with an Addiction podcast. Loving someone with an addiction is a life of chaos. This podcast is to help you take back your power and build strength, hope, and restore peace in your life. We use the science and art of positive psychology, professionals in their field, along with personal stories of hope, resilience, and strength. We hope you can discover how the courage to focus on you can help put your life back together. When you are in a place of exhaustion, hopelessness, and emptiness, we are a community that knows all too well the turmoil that comes from loving someone with an addiction. We are here to help you compassionately struggle well. Hey there, Andrea here. I hope you're doing as good as can be. I wanted to pop on before we get into this wonderful podcast with the editor of Recovery Today magazine. It is such a great episode. He has so many insights for us and it's just wonderful. But but I wanted to let you know about some exciting news before we jumped into that. And that is that the website for SavingYouIsKillingMe.com is launched. So by the time this episode airs, um, there there will be our wonderful website there. It's full of resources to help you gain insights. It helps you struggle well, and it helps you to connect with community as well. So I hope that you go over there. There's definitely freebies for you there. There's a wonderful free resource as well to help you instantaneously, you know, in real time resilience, take back your power. So things that you can do to feel better right now. And also what's great about the website is that you can now join us for an SYK meeting. That's where we connect with community and we connect with people. Um, and these, this is a free resource for you. So I really encourage you to pop over to the website at www.savingyouiskillingme.com because you can join us for these meetings. We're going to have them every single Friday to start at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So I hope you can join us and I will be there. I can't wait to see your faces and uh, just to connect with people who are, you know, although we wish that we were meeting under different circumstances, um, we need each other. We need to know we're not alone. We need to share in um, our wonderful ability to bounce back, our resilience, our strength, um, and also just to have you know other people that can be compassionate and understand what it is that we're going through and how hard it is to love someone with an addiction. Um, so yeah, so I would hope that you can head on over there and join us. And uh, if you haven't joined our Facebook group, it is such a loving community full of positive, wonderful energy in there and so many supportive people. So I hope that you're not doing this alone. I hope you can come over there and join us and be a part of our community. So sending hugs. Let's get right into this episode. You're going to love it. Hey there, Andrea here. I'm so excited. I have such an awesome guest on the show. We have editor-in-chief of Recovery Today magazine and Recovery Today podcast. Um, he is so, like, has such a wealth of knowledge and in inspiration, and his whole magazine is based around the concept of hope. And I'm so excited to have you on the show, Rob. Thank you so much for being here. It's my honor, my, my, my pleasure. So I would love you to just let us know a little bit about you. You know, who are you? Oh, wow. You know, I was just saying before we recorded, it's kind of nice to actually not be the guy preparing for the interview. And to, um, it's funny, I would think that's always my first question is, who are you? So, uh, well, you know, um, I'm, the, I'm the last, on, as I said, I'm the editor-in-chief of Recovery Today magazine. But as a person, uh, I live in Seattle with my my beautiful wife, my daughter my son is uh i've got two kids my son lives in georgia and um i'm just a guy that's trying to you know figure things out in my life uh and um i'm the last of eight kids military uh family my dad was a, a colonel in the air force long ago and um i got into the publishing of the magazine uh really from um uh, kind of a place of, of need and um, a segue into something we were talking about a minute ago. Like, do you want to talk about that? And I said, yeah, I do. And that was really, I, I, I started the magazine from a place of hopelessness. Mm -hmm. So um, recovery today magazine is kind of the extension of me kind of relevant to this 
because I feel like I'm just a really a normal person. But we started Recovery Today magazine, and when we were thinking about, well, what is it? We uh, the, the concept that came to my mind um, immediately was Recovery Today magazine is a magazine of hope because I really see the hope is the kind of the central, it's not even the main ingredient um, uh, that's necessary for any kind of transformation or anything like that at all. It's the, it's the primary and it's the first ingredient. So, you know, we get inspired, we get motivated. We think we need to be disciplined and we need to get to the gym or we need to do whatever. But before you do any of that, you have to have the, the, the actual buy-in like this, this growth kind of of hope, like, yeah, that could happen. Like if I got to the gym, I could lose weight. If I did such and such, then something could be better that I, that I want. Like you have to go, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that would, that would work. Yeah. So then you have to, or even seeing s- stories of other people where, or somebody in the conversation and somebody's telling you something about something difficult that they overcame. And you're thinking, God, I'm not nearly as messed up as that. Or like, that's really bad. It gives us hope overall. So I guess in context of our interview here, I mean, I'm happy to talk about anything, but I think a lot of it's very boring in terms of who I am. But <laughs> in context of this, like, um, I'm just a guy that's a little crazy that tries to is trying to figure out some of the weightier matters of life. Why are we here? How do we be happy? It's one of the things I loved about you. I was like, what is this? Live life happy. Like, what is that? Where do I get that from? How do you, how do, how, typing into like YouTube, how do you or how to be happy? How to, so I, that immediately attracted me and drew me into what it is that you're doing. And then we just hit it off. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so grateful for you sharing that in the magazine. You're helping so many people with that magazine. And um, I love that you brought up the idea of hopelessness. And oftentimes, especially when you love someone with an addiction, you feel very hopeless and you feel, you know, like your world is crashing in. And um, so this element, this is what I love about that, that positive emotion of hope. And I often say this is that it's married amongst challenge, amongst disappointment. It's that one positive emotion that helps you get through it. So exactly what you're saying, I love the way you brought that up is that, you know, um, looking to others as examples can actually provide more hope. Um, uh, Positive emotions, experiencing more and more positive emotions actually makes you hopeful for a better future or seeing examples of what's possible. So I really do, um, you know, savor your magazine and and how it really does provide hopefulness, not only for the, the person who is the addiction, loved one but also for you know people who love someone with an addiction exactly well if you think about who we are kind of as a species you know the human race um we're storytellers that's that's that that's what we do is you know before there was written language and even now you know we tell stories and so why do we tell stories is to teach somebody else something or this is what good or bad happened to me or something like that but it's really the, uh, the kind of the transference of this kind of this information. And so what better way, like we've got in, in recovery today, we've got therapists, we've got incredible, uh, you know, people like yourself that I'm g- very grateful were attracted to the magazine to say like, you know, I'd like to contribute or how can I be, you know, how, how would this work? And, and then we've got stories of, you know, kind of regular people that kind of uh, tell you know, what their experience was. So there's something really in it for everybody, but it all kind of revolves back around storytelling, I think. Oh, I love that. And also hearing other people's stories and and of what people have gone through is that really wonderful piece of the common humanity and the the feeling that you're not alone. So, you know, connecting with other people and hearing other people's stories is so essential, um, especially when you're going through the struggles of loving someone with an addiction or addiction itself. The other piece that I love that you brought up is that our brains are story making brains or storytelling brains like we, we, we create these stories stories as well, right, of what we tell ourselves. So, and that piece of hope, and when you bring up that element of hope, it's almost like, it's like changing your perception. It's like not what's happening to me, or what what's, you know, what what the world is bringing to me. It's more about, okay, how can I look at this in a way that it's going to be like build hopefulness and, and, and allow me to think that there's possibility for a better future for myself. So I love that you brought that up. So I'm curious, um, what, what is it that's been the biggest struggle for you around the whole world of addiction? 
for me personally, um, I have been, uh, I, I've been sober since, uh, 1994. And, um, I kind of hid a little bit about what my own personal story was. I mean, I, I, quite honestly, I didn't feel like it was worthy, um, in the context of some of the really horrific things that I, um, and that I've encountered story wise, or, you know, I mean, I've heard some really, really bad things, but everybody, it's all relevant to everybody's personal experience. I, I mean, I had bad stuff, you know, I, I um, had DUIs and I totaled a car and I should have died so, you know, a couple of times, different stupid things. But for me, the, the, the easiest part to start out with actually is just staying sober. Um, and, I I did this and there wasn't this hashtag that we have now, which is called sober curious. We have this hashtag of, you know, I think I'll just try it out and see what it's like. And when I stopped uh, drinking and, you know, of course, doing drugs and stuff like that, which is like my college days, uh, it started out kind of as an experiment a little bit. And I was in this spot of massive growth in personal development in this hope in this like intentionally wanting to um create a future that you know an amazing future and i get really even now as i'm talking my neuron and my brain just starts to light up with this kind of with, with this with this kind of energy but I, I started this whole idea of transforming into what i was to what i would want to be and um, so I, I was into personal development and habit building and I just kind of start, I stopped drinking. And then that, you know, somebody said, um, you know, or do you not drink anymore? And so I said, yeah, that's, uh, I, you know, I, 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 you know, yeah, I guess so. I, I guess I, so I, I started intentionally identifying and creating this persona of who I was rather than I'm going to stop this or something like that. And that's now been 20 something years. So the easiest part, uh, is, you know, not drinking or doing drugs or anything like that at all. The most difficult part is something that I encountered for the very first time in my life, which was uh, in college, probably my 20s or something like that. And uh, uh, I realized one day, one morning, I was getting ready to go to, I used to work at Christmas vacation. I was getting ready to go to the, go to work. And I realized I was really sad. And I didn't have any reason to be sad. I was on Christmas break from college. Like, what kind of problems do I have, you know? But I had this profound sadness. It was my first experience really identifying with depression. And um, so I do think that some of these things kind of run in the family. My dad, some other people like that is very common. It's like the common cold. And so the hardest thing for me personally, in terms of all the stuff, addiction, sobriety, drugs, is stuff like um, depression, um, anxiety, fear, regret. Um, um, it, you know, I, I call it ADD-ism, you know, the idea to focus on one thing and then, and then to intentionally do things that are going, going to make you happy. So that's the hardest thing for me personally. Um, you know, in terms of the magazine, the hardest thing is hearing some of the stories that we hear, but every single thing that we do in recovery today, it has to, as a litmus test, it has to have this uptick of hope. It has to finish on something that I didn't know before and, or there's some kind of meaning, no matter how bad it was, that there's some kind of a uptick of hope to it. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I want to celebrate your ability to take back your power and that you, um, your whole world is all about, you know, personal development. And you said something that is so key and I love it because I even have in my book, this one thing like you at your best, like visualizing you at your best. And one of the best ways to take back your power is that right is to think about who, not who, like, it's basically like, who do you want to be? How do you want to show up? And I love how you reverse engineered that where you were able to then see, you know, see your strength and have that hope and, and be able to take all the steps, you know, necessary in order to help you, you know, take back your power and, and show up the way you want to be. And uh, I think that's so powerful. And, and it's, it's so interesting too how you almost didn't you wanted to hide your story because you think that you didn't think your story was quote unquote bad enough, <laughs> especially hearing other people's story and and that's very common too. Like I even felt like who am I to write you know a book on you know loving someone with an addiction when there's so many stories out there that are probably 
far worse than what I went through. And even though what I went through, it's all relative. It's like, it was very challenging for me. Um, and so, but then, you know what, I realized that no, 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 the Andrea turned your pain into purpose and, you know, you can help other people with your resiliency tools and things like that. So, um, I, I thought, I think that's really interesting that your story initially, you didn't feel like it was, you know, quote unquote bad enough, but well, one thing, I mean, I, I, I try to be a very intentional communicator and my real deepest, maybe not my exact deepest, but I love to write. I like to interview. I love conversation is I have this innate desire to really to connect. And um, I know that people connect with people that they are. I, I tell people from a sales perspective, I like affiliate marketing. I, my market, I sell stuff on the internet and I've done stuff like that. And I, I would tell people, People do business with people that they like. And, and they say, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. And I said, no, not really. Like, they do business, number one, with people that they like. They'd say, you know, God, I, I like Andrea. Like, I like her. You know, she's happy. She's a smiling person. Like, I like her. You know, she just makes me feel good. Then they do, then they do business, and they're attracted to people that they'd say, wow, like, we're alike. Um, you know, we share a lot of things in common. Wow, we had a, we were both of this kind of family, or we had this experience in our. So we're alike. And then the other one is, is that I, I, they like people that they want to be like. So we can always kind of show up and just be our, our actual self. I always want to be real and authentic with people. But it was kind of the alike part. And so as we we're starting out, most of the audience in recovery today is you know, very traditional kind of 12 step, um, you know, get a sponsor and AA and go to meetings and things like that. There's a, a nice portion now that's kind of what they call non 12 step that they're holistic or whatever. We don't we just say, hey, whatever works for you. And then now over the last few years, like I said, this hashtag has kind of started to evolve that they're sober curious. Well, turns out I that's how I was. I was sober curious. I did it. I just, you know, thought, let's kind of see what happens. I wanted to create a habit for myself that could last my entire lifetime, a significant one, a significant habit. And uh, something beyond running every day or going to the gym or, you know, having a good diet, like giving up, you know, alcohol. I, I like to drink, you know, I had, I was a pretty fun guy. <laughs> I, I was a pretty fun guy when I would go out to the bar. And um, uh, so that's how all of this started. So I was hesitant to kind of come forward because I felt like this, uh, I'm going to call it imposter syndrome or something like that, you know? Oh, and it's so common. So let's talk about that a little bit, because I know the listeners are, are, you know, they love someone with an addiction and the, the, the number one thing that they wish and they hope for is for them to get sober or for them, you know, to, you know, come back in a, in a manner that, you know, they initially fell in love with or the person that they used to be. Um, and so let's talk about sober curious a little, like, what made you get more and more curious about being sober? And, and you know, if you want to go down that path, like if you want to share yeah. that. I mean, I was, uh, I was about 27 or 28 years old. So it was a couple of years ago. No, it was a while, a long time ago. <laughs> so, um, and uh, I, I started, you know, I, I started um, uh, some businesses and things like that. And I had a chance to hook up with some mentors that were all, you know, affluent, and they were um, um, happy, and they had purpose in their lives, and none, none of them, you know, none of them drank, none of them partied, you know, they all had, but they, they, they didn't, and so I think there's kind of this common thing in personal development, like, you know, you become like those that you associate with, so ergo, you know, that kind of, it, you start to have this kind of little bit of a disconnect, and as I'm spending more and more time intentionally trying to create a life that I wanted to create, you also want to be alike, like, wow, you know, or like, I want, I want to be like you type of a thing. So I just kind of looked to, I, I kind of started to think that, you know, I was just going to shed it like a, you know, like a, a, a skin, if you will. Mm. And I thought, you know, it's not really going to fit, you know, that much. Like I, I literally remember, you know, before I stopped drinking, like I used to do back in the day that you would get pulled over and they'd make you do sobriety tests. Okay. Now you just blow or a thing like that. They don't do any of that. It was walk the line. And they had one, it was like, you, they'd say, you know, do this, you know, in, thumb to index, you know, this. And I would practice this all the time. Actually, I was pretty <laughs> doggone good because I would always practice my sobriety test things just in case forever I was, I was needed it when I was stopped or something like that. Now you can't, you know, you can't do those. 
And then the whole idea that you're going to crash a car, you're going to say something stupid, you're going to do something that you regret. And as I said, in my personality, regret is something that I've had a really lot of struggles with. Man, I wish I would have done that. I could have done that. So I blew this. I didn't do this. Should have, could have, would have, might have, houlda, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so when you, you, you know, you, you wake up the next day and you're hungover, you did some dumbass thing, or there's something that's lingering. Maybe you wrecked a car. It's just mm-hmm. nicer really not to have to, to deal with any of that kind of stuff. Amazing. So what I'm curious about then, so I know the listeners, obviously we, we can't control what's going on in someone else's life. We can't, you know, love them hard enough to get them to be sober and things like that. So sober curious really has to come from the individual. <laughs> As, yeah. like so to speak and that's that's what what you 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 took back your power essentially you were more and more sober curious and you were able to I love the way you put it to you said significant habits and that is so amazing so let's talk about that so and also who we associate ourselves with we are it's so much fun to talk with because everything is completely amazing and stuff like that yeah it's Nobody true really thinks that they're amazing you know so that's what that's cool you are who yeah. you surround yourself with and it's so right. so when you love someone with an addiction, it's so easy for that just to bring you down. It becomes your whole world. It's like, you know, you're worried, you're, you're, you're not numbing, but that person is numbing. So when you love someone with an addiction, it is so hard. So I would love to just tap into that. You're able to really create these significant habits. You're able to take back your power in so many ways. And, um, and, and intentionally, you, you talked about intentional habits, which is so beautiful. Let's expand on that. Okay, let's do it. Um, all right, all right, all right. I thought you were going to ask a question. Okay, so that was good enough setup. So, intentional habits. Um, uh, I love the book. One of the things I really love about about you and everything that you do is your this voracious reading and all these books. And so, I'm immediately taken to the book of um, uh, what's the what's the main yellow covered book about habits? It's real popular now. Um, I know it's in your oh, book. Charles Charles Duhigg. Yeah, yeah, exactly right, <laughs> Charles Duhigg, and um, and so there's things that you do to make ha- bad habits that you don't want to do. You set things away. You make it difficult to get to, and good habits you set up right by the bedside t- stand or next to the coffee pot or whatever it's going to be um, that you do. And so I'm a big believer in my life or anybody's life that everything revolves around momentum, and um, uh, that uh, you know they say the, the it's the first step is the most, by far the most important step in anything that you're going to do. Um, and, and it comes again from this place of hope. So you've got from hope to, I'm going to do it, to taking some kind of action, to now you're taking an action. And it's the very first step that is the most important. So habits create springboards for other habits. So the reason for a significant habit is to always give myself evidence, okay? Because I assume everybody, but at least for me, I have little voices in my head, okay? I have self-loathing voices. I've got voices that are very critical. Um, Then I've got, you know, lesser voices that tell me I'm all that. And uh, it's funny because I would rather actually be somebody that sits back a little bit rather than the other side. I would rather err to like, I'm really not all that special than the kind of person that says, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. you know, I think the time for that is maybe like on a resume or something, something, but just in general. So the whole idea is to create a significant habit where you have an evidence, where you have evidence of this. And you could say, well, I could do that. I actually quit drinking. That's pretty significant. I lost 20 pounds. Like I did do that as a fact. I did that because when you set out to do something, you have this little chatter in your mind that says, you're not really going to do that. In fact, most of the things that you start, you don't follow through on, okay? You're kind of a knucklehead. You're this, you're that, you're the other. And you can say, yeah, you know what? Thanks so, so much. That's our part of our brain trying to protect us. You just say, yeah, that's that, 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 that's fine. But the truth of the matter is I did this over here, and therefore it could be a springboard into something different. That's why this is overall a significant habit. That, that's the whole kind of thing. 
I love so many aspects of that in so many ways. So what I love about it is that oftentimes our, you know, inner critic or that inner voice might challenge us and say, you know, who are you to do that? Or you're not going to do that. Or, you know what, the reason he's leaving and going out is because you're, you're not fun, right? Like the inner voice, the chatter that might come into your head. So when it comes to forming significant habits or new habits or doing things in your life and building hope and motivation is to also then look for evidence. And in positive psychology, we always talk about this idea is when you have a belief, it's like take your thinking to court. So it's cognitive behavior therapy. So you basically think you take your thinking to court. Yeah. So what worked for me really well is like, I used to have this belief, like, am I not fun or am I not sexy? Cause he's spending the whole entire night in the garage instead of coming with me. (laughs) Stop it. Stop that right there. That's crazy. So yes, but I can, a lot of people are probably thinking this, right? Especially when they love someone with an addiction. And so the whole saying is, is taking your thinking to court. It's like, when you think that it's like, you can always come back at it with that's not true because, and then you answer the question, that's not true because that's not true because, and I love that evidence piece that you're talking about, or another way of seeing this is. Another way of seeing this is, or that's not true because, and that's so powerful. I love it. What I love is that you actually know why. I just know, like, I'm thinking like, no, I can write down, probably somebody told me or I read it in a book or something like that. In fact, I remember right now, there's another fellow Canadian. He's over on the other side of you. Um, He wrote the book called uh, 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 Law of Attraction book. He was actually the first person I ever heard of. It was before the secret about law of attraction. I said, I got to learn more about that. That's really cool. <laughs> Michael Loger. So he's a guy, he says, write everything down about to, it's, it's proof that things are abundant. I got a parking space. Somebody bought me lunch today. Uh, somebody wanted to interview me today. Somebody, somebody, somebody that you write an evidence log down and you can look at it and you can go, no, I am abundant. I know he probably got that from whoever you, you know, read it or something. Everything is out in the universe. But um, that's my, that's kind of my thought. I'm like, no, I did this habit. I can do something different is so powerful. And that's a wonderful way to take back your power. And I love that you brought up that idea of looking for, it's actually a confirmation bias. So when you think of something, your brain will naturally look in your world for evidence to prove it. So, um, and I like this, there's actually science that when you believe that you're more, that that you're lucky, that you'll start looking for evidence that you are lucky, and then your world becomes more lucky. (laughs) <laughs> I tell I tell my daughter a lot of times because she's my captive audience at, at 17 and she'll still at least pretend that she's listening to me. And um, sometimes we go to the grocery store or whatever it is. And as you can tell, I'm a, I'm a chatty person and uh, you know, I'm paying for my groceries and I have this conversation with a, you know, with a, a grocery store person and uh, we leave it. And I said, uh, who do I talk to? And she said, she goes, everybody. And I go, yeah, and I go, uh, I, I go, yeah, and you know what's funny is they all like me too. And she laughed. She goes, well, you think that they do. And then I immediately, it wasn't even like a book I had read. I go, that's all that matters, honestly. I think that they like me. And actually, I'm pretty convinced that they probably really, I'm probably right. Most of them probably do like me because I come to them probably approaching them with this, with this bias of people like me. I'm a likable person, you know. And then you'll find evidence to prove that. So let's bring it back to, you know, um, the listeners and how they might benefit from this concept of taking back your power and cultivating hope and, um, you know, creating significant habits and surrounding yourself with positive people, like all these nuggets of wisdom that you're sharing are so powerful. Um, I'm curious, like, what, what is it that you would say to someone who is struggling with loving someone with an addiction? Like, what advice would you give them to take back their power? Okay, so first of all, what a wonderful question. Um, so first of all, I would say it's the same kind of advice I would give them almost on anything. Um, a great book, another great book that I love, I'm sure that you also read, was The, the Five Second Rule, okay? And, and so um, the whole idea is, especially coming from somebody that actually has suffered with depression, okay, is depression is really a, um, um, it comes from a place, in my non-therapist opinion, it comes from a place of, of being of a loss of control, okay? So the fact is, we really don't control almost anything in our lives. Most of it is kind of an illusion, but we can ground ourselves and say, you know, no, I control this and no, I control that. So 
what you do is you change and control everything that you possibly can, okay? Now, I'm not talking about in the codependency or I'm gonna do this. I'm talking about for you because ultimately what we really are looking at is what's your happiness gonna be, your survival, your how you're gonna thrive and you're gonna show up in life because you really don't have that much control over somebody else, okay? So it boils down to a really simple kind of a thing. You control every single thing about yourself, about who you are, your own thermostat of happiness, the things that you're going to do that you're that you know are these are good for me as an individual rather than being attached overall as somebody else as a project, okay? So um and it's really 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 tough. Like you have to say like it's this is my life. I only get one shot at this life, okay? I'm going to do everything I can do for me and also to help you. But if you're not on board, like I'm still, no matter what, I'm still going to have a good life. So you have to resolve that part in yourself of putting your own oxygen mask on first and from self-preservation because you're completely useless to somebody else. If you are depressed and you are miserable and you are poor and you're fat and you're ungroomed and every other kind of thing, okay, just to be completely real, you know, like um, if you're living in a kind of this lower level, uh, you're not going to be of any use to anybody. You're going to have zero influence. And the currency of life, by the way, is influence. That is the currency of life, being able to, um, uh, you know, uh, encourage other people to do something else. So the main rule I would say is you change and control every single thing that you can do using the five-second rule. And the five-second rule is if you're thinking, oh, yeah, you know, what, you're watching a TV show or something like that. And first of all, you should probably not watch very many TV shows. You should read a book instead. But <laughs> you have this idea that is like, you know, I should do that. According to this book, and what's her name? I'm pretty sure. Mel Robbins. Yeah, she's like super bazillionaire successful because she came up with a cool concept. And that is you'll have an idea like, oh, I should do that. Okay. 1,001, 1,002, 1,000. At five seconds, your brain, the other part, your self-preservation, your negative toxins, oh, no, you shouldn't do that because you'll freaking lose, you know, that you could cost you money and blah, 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 and it talks you out of it, okay? So the whole idea is to take immediate action on anything that you can do. When you think of doing, doing something, you take at least one step. You take an immediate step toward that. And again, I had said originally, the most important part in any transformation is the very first step because it starts to create momentum, okay? Starts to create some kind of momentum. So as soon as you think of something, you take action on it. Now, the things that you're thinking, my my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my husband, my wife, they're just a piece of shit. I'm sorry, but I want I intentionally want to be a little bit visceral about it, okay, to keep it a little bit real. That they're just really a deplorable type of person. And why can't they change this, okay? Well, they can't change that because they're crazy. Um, when they're in addiction, they're literally insane. So you, as the sane person, have to self-preserve and do anything that you can do to help this person, but you also not at the risk of not of taking your own oxygen mask off, okay? And you have to completely and totally resolve and determine, I alone, I am going to have a good life. You can come with me. I'll be a blessing to you. You know, you'll, you'll be happy that you were, but regardless, whether I am with you or I am not with you, whether you live or whether you die, I'm going to have a good life. And um, I think that delineation also, if you even have that kind of conversation, I had that conversation with my son, who's doing really, really good. He's about 19. But a few years ago, he wasn't doing so good. And um, I told him, look, man, you know, and he was actually trying to drive a wedge between my wife and I, I thought, so I thought, okay. And uh, cause you know, manipulation and whatnot. And I said, look, man, I'm going to tell you right now, mom and I split up, we do whatever, something like that. My whole thought is let the chips fall wherever they may. I'm going to have a good life no matter what. Okay. And whether you kill yourself or you do whatever, I'd be very, very clear. If something bad happened to you, if you died, because we were having this kind of a conversation around drugs, honestly, and uh, so sm smoking weed is what it, what it was. Not to downplay it, but here I publish a magazine and my own kids smoking weed. You know, it's this is it's it's real. So, um, but and he was going nowhere. He's, he's doing wonderful, wonderful, one authentically wonderful now. But I had this conversation with him, and I said, if something happened to you, dude, and you died. Cause I really wanted to put a gravity on it. Yes. 
I would be profoundly forever sad, like grievously sad because I wanted, uh, I'm not a therapist. Okay. So I probably say wrong things sometimes, but this is just where I came from. And I said, cause I love you so, so much. I love you so much. That will be what your life is though, is going to be your decision. And regardless of this, if you prosper and you do stuff, I will be so happy. And if you don't, I'll be sad from that, but I'm still going to live a good life. No matter what, I only have one shot, man. I'm, nobody's going nobody's gonna to mess that up for me. And that's kind of the mindset. So again, if somebody's a therapist or they're saying, oh God, that's the worst thing that you should say. I don't know. It kind of worked. It kind of worked for me from this self-preservation, regardless of what anybody else is going to do. I am determined. Uh, they're going to divorce. They're going to this. They're going to that. They're going to die. I'm still going to be okay. I'm still going to be okay. I would be really sad, but I'm going to be okay. I love so many things that you just said. So I'm still going to be okay. I love that piece. I love that self-preservation is what it's all about. And I love that you talked about control versus influence. We can't control other people. and We can't control certain elements in our life, but we can influence and um, we can have influence on other people to a certain degree. But at the same time, what we really have influence on is ourself, taking back our own power focusing on ourselves and what you know taking action based on that and I love that you brought that five second rule and what comes to mind for me with the five second five four three two one like do it before your brain convinces you not to do it in terms yeah. of habits and taking back your power and doing things for you is yeah. so powerful and in psychology it's called activation energy and it's all you know what it is. I don't know what it is. <laughs> so what it is, is it's like, it's to get yourself activated. You actually can, you know, you just need that nudge. You just need to start and then you gain momentum. It's almost like a sled going down a hill. You got to kind of nudge it before it starts. Yeah. Um, and I love that you talked about the idea is the only thing we only have one life and that we have influence on our life. And that for the, for the listeners who is, you know, loving someone with an addiction, that despite what they're doing is really, really important to focus on you and take back your own power and do that through these significant habits and, and showing up and trying to be the best version of yourself, so to speak, and, and have influence on the things that you have influence on, that you can have influence on. I hope I capture that. Yeah, 100%. And there's a couple of other things I could probably throw on as an addendum now that my caffeine is hitting my brain a little bit more, <laughs> working a little faster. But um, a couple of things that I can that I can think of is, um, you know, not very long ago, a few years back, um, I've been married a long time and was not a good spot we were we were in at the time. And so staying married wasn't really a given. And um, I, I remember thinking to myself, uh, I, I actually, I, I found a course on the internet is what it was. I paid like 40, 50 bucks for this audiobook, but it, was, it had some really, really good nuggets that I've really, uh, that, that worked not as a trick, but it really worked and helped change things around a lot. And one was the realization that your relationship, it could be for a marriage, it could be for uh, a boyfriend, girlfriend, it could be for a child or whatever it was, but uh, it was mostly from a, from a, a marriage type of relationship. And it was a realization that this might not last. Okay. But what can you do? It wasn't like, Hey, I need to get, I need to fix Fred. Okay. It's you're probably not going to really Fred might decide to change on his own, but really you got to start with you. And so it was like, what things can you do? Okay. To up kind of your, your 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 level your value uh, may, maybe not I mean I don't everybody has intrinsic value but I'm, I'm trying to think what the what it, what it was what it was like you can go to the gym okay so also from a depression perspective I have control over that I can you know I can do another rep I can show up at the gym I can do this I can do that it's a control type of a thing and I'm going to improve myself for uh, to be. Um, uh, I don't know, more value within the relationship. I'm, I'm probably not saying it exactly right. Or I'm either for you, I'm going to be a better version of myself or for whoever's next and uh, or for whoever is next. So you owe it to yourself to bolster and to improve yourself and to be a better version of you for everybody that you love and that is around you. 
but also a little bit as an individual, I, I think, and especially in a part of a maybe a marriage that is in crisis, that either for that person, and you're going to work things out, it's not just the gym, it's being kind, it's putting your telephone away when somebody is talking, oh, um, you know, I made dinner for a couple of years, I never made dinner, I made dinner every night for like a couple of years, I made the bed every morning, I never did any of these kind of things. And so, um, anyhow, the whole thing is to be a better version of you for whomever it is that you're worth, that you're with, or also to, um, for whoever might be next. So that's one thing. And I have another one, because I know you're going to ask me a question about that, I think. Yeah, uh, well, I think that the whole concept there, the self-preservation is huge. And I love that you brought up the, I, the idea of self-care, taking care of yourself and improving your value and knowing your self-worth. Like when you tap into what you value and also feel like, you know, you're, you're building, you know, your strength, your resilience, you're looking after your body physically, your health, you're looking after yourself mentally as well. Maybe you're doing some more yoga classes and you're making yourself better for the person that you're with or yeah. just better for yourself, really self-preservation, but then also I like it better for whoever you might be with in the future. Um, and just like, yeah, I love that. Taking What's the first thing that somebody would do? I know we're a lot of grounds outside of, <clears throat> outside of addiction and being in the codependent relationship, but what's the first thing that you do if you got a divorce? What's the very first thing that you're going to do? I don't mean get a lawyer or something like that. First thing is you're going to get your fat ass into the gym, okay? Um, that's just how it's going to be, all right? Because if you're going to go back out in the dating world or whatever it is, you're not going to do it with some, be some fat, you know? And I say that, by the way, viscerally on purpose in order to kind of evoke, I don't want to offend, we're in very non, nobody gets offended type of stuff. Well, I'm perfect the way that you're probably, you know, I mean, there's, is there not improvements that you could make to yourself, okay? And this is how the world, the lens that the world looks, lo looks as well. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to be in the gym. You're going to be dressing nicer. You're going to make sure that your car is clean or that your house, you know, different things like that. If you were dating somebody, how overall, uh, if, you know, husband or wife, you're dating. So if, if, if you were not married to your husband and you're at home or you're a husband that's married to your wife and your wife's at work and, and it, was, it was somebody that you were dating, this is what I used to think all the time. If I were dating this person, my wife, and she was coming over to my house. We were going to eat dinner and watch Netflix and maybe whatever happens, you know, uh, as well. Am I going to have crap all over? The, even though I didn't make the mess, am I going to have crap all over the kitchen and have the kitchen completely destroyed? I'm going to have a woman that I'm dating, okay, come over and she's going to look at my kitchen and I'm going to say, well, my kid made that mess, you know, so it's not really my job to do it or something like that everything's going to be perfect. Am I going to be wearing some raggedy type of thing like that in my hair and I'm not shaved for, no, I would do everything I could do as though. So that was what really helped my relationship a lot as I tried to show up as though I were dating this person kind of fantasizing in my mind. It's not my wife. It's actually somebody that I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm dating now, you know? I, so I love that you, I know you're, you were, uh, you know, shock value in terms of like saying like you would get your butt to the gym type thing. Um, but I love where you're going with this and the fact that, um, you're, how would you show up if you were preparing for dating the dating world or how would you show up? And, and what I love about it is, and I always say, is like almost like date yourself, like build yourself back up. So that you, because when you love someone with an addiction, oftentimes you you knock down, you're questioning your worth, you you know you don't feel like lovable and things like that. So um, taking back your power, a lot of it has to do with self care. It has to do with eating clean and healthy. It has to do with taking good care of yourself, practicing compassion. It's exercising. It's movement. It's um, you know, it's it's restoring your life. And I remember I had to start pretending that he because he was hardly ever home near the end anyway, right? So it's like, you know, I just started pretending I wasn't even with him. And then that actually helped me sleep. Like I had to like, it's okay. He's not, he's not coming home till the morning anyway. So don't, you might as well get a really nice night of sleep tonight type thing. So I, I, I like where you're going with that in the fact that it's almost like, like show up for you. 
like not necessarily for that person you're going to date or, you know, the next person or, you know, it's like show up for you so you can take back your power so you can take care of yourself so you can. And I like your idea too, like declutter your home. Like that's one of the, the magic of tidying up always feels good. You're, it's like you're being proactive in your life and you're doing things that are going to bring about more positive emotions. They're going to make you feel better despite the chaos or anything that might be going on around you in your life so and, and you know on one hand too i'm a kind of touchy-feely kind of kind of person I, I so i think you know and um so i i kind of almost feel like hey you know if that sounds like a little harsh i'm saying get your you know to the gym and all the kind of stuff like that i'm really just coming from a spot like i i i'm thinking even as we're doing an interview if i was if i was just having coffee with somebody and i would say normally i would say is it okay if i just tell you look, man, like, or look, you know, this is what you need to do. Okay. Like let's, let's keep it real. Okay. Like, you know, you're not in a good spot right now. How do we change this? And so I do come from a spot, like I have complete empathy for somebody that's in a horrific uh, type of a situation. It's maybe, you know, so I, I know that there's all varying degrees, but the main thing I come at is from self-preservation. Yeah. The other piece I was going to say is I love this book. Um, you probably like the fact I'm dropping books because you read so much. Um, I, I read this book. It was probably the greatest. I, I'm a Christian. It was the greatest Christian book I ever read, but it wasn't like all super doctrination or anything like that at all. It's called Love Does. It's it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal book. I would recommend, even if you're not a Christian, you would read it. It's hilarious. It's the story of this of this guy. Uh, his name is Bob... Um, something other he actually puts his cell phone at the end of the book i called him up actually called him he answered his phone talked to him for a few minutes so <laughs> yeah so part of the whole thing is is this guy lives his life and it works for depression as well with this with this with this uh mentality that everything is going to turn out okay so when things are going bad in your life okay in the story of your life it's not the story of your life it's actually a plot twist. I don't know that it was him that said that. It was somebody else I stole that from. But it's what makes the story interesting. So you, he would say to himself, like, well, this is going to be something bad. This is going to be interesting to see how things turn out, how God delivers me out of this, or how things turn out in the end. There's this positive expectation, like, when all, it seems like really when all hope is lost, but it's going to be, wow, this is going to be kind of interesting to see how you pull this one off, how Rob or how Andrea comes through this part of this interesting story, because what's happening right now is just a plot twist. But we know in the end, it's a happy story. Why do we know that? Well, because we're the author of it. We believe in a higher power, at least I believe in a higher power that's benevolent, that wants to do, that wants to, the same way I'd want to bless my children, that wants to do things for me. So um, I like this positive expectation, like it's going to be, this will be interesting to see how this turns out. Not looking so good right now. Uh, oh my gosh, I love that. I love the plot twist idea. I used to say that too, like, wow, didn't see that coming. Like, this is a plot twist in my life. And you know what? It's amazing that, yeah, shifting your lens on the story that you're going through instead of um, making it a grievance story, it's almost seeing how you can possibly be the hero in your own story and make yourself the hero through the story. I love that it's a plot twist that we're the writers of our story. And um, that is so powerful. And, and I used to say like, you know, to, in order to buffer my anger and my, you know, frustration, I would say, Hmm, that's fascinating. Or like how fascinating it's like buffer a bit of times, like, you know, also acknowledging that, you know, those negative emotions are there to keep me safe and they're there for a reason. And they're, you know, so it's not pretending bad things 100%. don't happen. It's just recognizing, well, this is a plot twist. It's okay. Where are you taking me now? Like, um, it's amazing. So, oh my gosh, you gave us so many nuggets of wisdom, like self-preservation, the power of hope and hopefulness, um, a significant habits, um, influencing instead of controlling the five second rule, the power of habits. I love it. Love it. And the idea here of plot twisting and, and focusing on you, like you only get one life. There's so many nuggets. Um, if there's any one last little bit that you'd like to share with the listeners, what would it be? No, just that, um, you know, everything that I say, I always try to come from a perspective to be helpful. 
And um, I, I give myself a lot of margin, you know, by saying I'm, I'm a little crazy, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm full on a work in progress. Um, and uh, I'm still trying to figure stuff out. I'm fascinated by, by things. And uh, the whole idea of, well, what, what is our purpose here? What, what is life about? What am I supposed to do? Um, is something that it, it fascinates me. So, um, uh, you know, that, that's, that, that's really all that I would say is, is take some kind of action. I guess if there's like a call to action in terms of marketing speak, like, well, what's the next step? You know, the next step would be to do something. If you're watching this now, I suppose the next step would be, you know, before five seconds goes on, do something. I used to go to the gym. I, I've done it more than once, probably 20 times, I bet you, maybe more, where I actually had no time. I, I procrastinated so much, I had no time to work out, but I got to the. I actually got to the gym. Literally, I got in, I walked in, I got a drink of water, and I left. And the reason, and I thought, I, I went to the gym today, okay? It was a whole idea of incrementally I could do something. If I could just, the hardest part was to get out the door. So if you're really overweight or you're really sickly and you're thinking, God, I'd love to run, walk around the block, walk down the street and walk back, do anything, just get into some kind of motion and understand that there's a story that's out there that's worse than yours, that somebody that has overcome something greater than you are, that is less special overall than you are. You already have more inside you than this other person might have wherever they are. And so, you know, just take the pen back as one of my friends came up with this whole thing. Take the pen back that you're writing the story with your life and take control. Do whatever you can do. The rest of it, just pray about it. Turn it over and just see like, okay, it'll be interesting to see how everything's going to turn out. That's where I would probably leave you. Oh my gosh. So awesome. Amazing. I love it. So action step, do something for yourself. Take back your power. Amazing messages here. Thank you so much, Rob. I'm so grateful for you being here. So I know people are going to want to get a hold of you. So I'm going to put all your links into the show notes and everything so people can reach out to you. And um, I'm so grateful and thankful for you being here and sharing your wisdom. Mm, It's really, I, I don't, uh, you know, I learned a couple of things the hard way. It's my pleasure, as I said, and it's my honor. So thanks for, you know, thanks for bringing me on and, and, and chatting. Thank you for listening. If you want additional support, you can head on over to our website at savingyouiskillingme.com, where we have a wonderful, supportive, compassionate community. We are here for you. You are not alone. We also have a private Facebook group and Instagram feed called Saving You Is Killing Me, Loving Someone With an Addiction. Be sure to subscribe here so you get the latest episodes. And of course, share this with your community and your support groups or anyone that's going through this struggle so we can all work together to take our lives back and restore joy. Thank you so much for joining me, not only today, but week after week. Although I wish we were meeting under different circumstances, I'm so grateful that I get to show up for you and share these episodes so that we can go on this journey together. Until next week, sending hugs. Thank you for listening. If you want a...